Well, good afternoon, LCM. Today is Sunday, March 29th, 2020, and we are excited about the final installment of our Divine Dimension series. We have been working and talking through Divine Dimensions for the entire month of March, and here we are at its conclusion today. We've been drenched in blood, we've been drenched in oil, we've been drenched in identity, and we've been drenched in our destiny. We've learned how to drift in ways that cut away our anchors. We learn how to drift in the current and drift in loss that is actually gain. See, we know that the world is making claims around us of what uh, essential, Mm. of what is essential or not. Mm. The word clearly defines the true determination of that which is essential. Uh, Let me say it a different way. Instead of saying essential, let me say it's indispensable. Come on, say that word with me. Indispensable. For the real body of Christ, the divine seed that is the word of God in the divine dimension is that which cannot be disposed of or disregarded in any way, but must be demonstrated to be our driving force as a people. Today, our sermon title and the direction of our drift is called Divine Dimensions Indispensable. Come on, say it with me. Say indispensable. Indispensable. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll read verse 26. Say, indispensable whenever you get there. What then? Verse 25. Yeah, or 26. What then shall we say, brothers? When? Everybody say, when. When, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word or instruction. It's indispensable, man. I'm just doing it. A revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. All. Say all. All. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. As we read this verse and you see the phrase, when you come together, this is for every believer. That coming together is not optional. It's expected to happen. It's a predictable pattern that should happen when a believer's life, or inside a believer's life. That we will get together, we will congregate, because this is what the Lord has a desire and commandment for us to do. The Word of God presupposes that every believer and that the body of Christ will meet, because there's an end goal in mind. As it continues in the Scripture, all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. All of these. Remember, I elaborated on that word, him. That's a hymn, a revelation, a tongue interpretation, what we just experienced and will continue to experience. You have worship, you have preaching, you have revelation, tongues and interpretation. And all of this is aimed at one thing as we get together as a congregation. The strengthening of the church. During our prayer time, were you strengthened? Yes. During our worship time, were you strengthened? Yes. Well, it's a predictable pattern that you will be strengthened in the rest of this message and afterwards and whenever we get together at any point in time. But you see, what's happening right now is that our society is throwing these things away. Because they see them as something that's based on a temporary basis. Mean that this. Is that they see it as an option. That, you know, it's only just for about 14 days that you guys can be live and go go digital and online. And don't have to congregate or adhere to what this verse says. It's only going to last a little bit. But we know better than this. We know that the the Word of God is never put on hold for a temporary basis. Holiness is never put on hold in a temporary basis. It is always 
necessary for the strengthening of the church. This has always been the case, but it's just easier to seize in our, in our current time and situation. Church, just consider what is being called essential or indispensable versus the dispensable in our world right now. These are actual examples, and many of you may know them. It is indispensable for the world to have a 99-cent taco at your local bodega or your local Taco Bell. The world is saying that is indispensable and essential. What we're saying is that is not. See, they're comparing that and calling it indispensable versus being filled with the bread of heaven as a congregation. See how the world is setting these things up wrongly? Right. Another example, what is indispensable and essential to our current society is an auto parts store for the do-it-yourselfer. Contrasted with a dependency upon the Lord and the body of Christ to supply all your needs. The world says that your pool guy is indispensable. True story. True story. Pool guy, indispensable. Spirit-filled pastors who are leading congregations. See, the world says that is completely dispensable. Wow. Wow. You know, something that Wade and I witnessed two days ago. We looked across the street and we saw some guys re-roofing a house. Not making repairs because there was wind or hurricane damage. Just aesthetically re-roofing a house. That our society says that that is essential. It's indispensable. In the kingdom, though, what we see as essential is the necessity to build our homes upon the word within the community of the faithful and those that desire holiness. Yeah, and by the way, we're happy if you're uh, like Tom and you've got a roofing company. We are so happy that the world has declared that he is indispensable. Our point isn't that we don't want you working. The point is, is even while you're figuring out whether you can work or not, the world is making claims on what is indispensable and what is completely unnecessary and dispensable in this world. Uh, do you know that there's a used golf ball sorting establishment that is, a, that? that is indispensable in our community? And Ray Pena said amen because he gets to work. But sorting out our thoughts and getting shalom as we all gather together is completely dispensable according to the world. Oh, yeah. You could add to that Smoothie King, ice cream shops, snowball stands. All of those are actual examples of what our world completely says is indispensable. Church, we are saying those things are completely dispensable. And what we have here together is the indispensable. What God is trying to give us is his indispensable seed of the very word of the heavens that he wants to give us today that is indispensable it is undeniable it is completely essential and we must treat it as such today come on say the word again with me indispensable indispensable so as we look through this list i begin to see a pattern wait wait, pastor i i got it now i got it i see the image behind the smoke screen right The idolatry of our land is becoming apparent. We have idolized our entertainment and ease, and it is now being shown in what the world values as indispensable. Don't mess with my money. Don't mess with my comfort. Lord forbid, don't mess with my entertainment. Send everybody home so they can watch hours and hours of whatever they desire online. And God help those who try to take that my adult uh, idolatry away from me. Yeah. 
Let's all turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 as we, as we begin to develop this thought of that which is indispensable. 1 Peter 4, 4 is where we're turning now. Come on, say it with me. Say indispensable when you get there. Yeah, it's actually indefensible, what they call indispensable. 1 Peter 4, 4 says this. They think it strange. Yeah, they do. That you do not plunge with them into the same flood, the same deluge of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. Isn't that what's going on right now in our world? When you don't plunge with them into what they call indispensable. When you actually say that we need, that we must, that we are required, that we are longing and will meet together. They look at you like you're crazy. They look at you like it is a strange thing to them when you don't drift in their dimension. When you're trying to walk and stay drifting in a divine dimension. When you don't stand in the same flood, in the same deluge of dissipation. See, we have defined our divine dimensions. Somebody say divine dimensions. Divine dimensions. We've defined our divine dimensions not by the deluge of the definition of that which the world declares as indispensable. But rather by the definitive determination of the divine seed of the Word of God. See, we must stand where the Word tells us to stand, and we can stand nowhere else. We don't want to stand anywhere else, not for a moment, not for a day, not for a week, not for nine months. There's no amount of time that we want to be away from standing exactly where the indispensable seed of the Word of God tells us to stand. Church, that means that there's a predictable outcome, though. In this case, 1 Peter 4 says that the predictable outcome is, is that they're going to heap abuse on you. That's incredible. It's incredible that nowadays if you meet together, you know what one of the things that people are saying in the news media is that you hate your society. How, how dare you do that? Aren't you afraid that you, by meeting together, isolated with your own people, away from others, are going to somehow pollute the community around you? That's abuse, folks. Somebody say, that's abuse. How dare you do this? See, you guys are really, really strange. It's almost like we're a peculiar people and we're supposed to be that way, right? See, what is really indispensable is the seed of the Word of God. The Word that is eternal, that is imperishable, that can't be quarantined, it can't be contained. See, what we are serving is the indispensable seed of the Word of God. Amen? Amen. When the word is indispensable in your life, it's not just a distorted or even delightful distraction. When you take to heart the truly indispensable nature of the seed that is the word of God, it determines. Say determines. Determines. It determines how you read God's word and what you do in response to it. Everybody turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. And we will look at verse 19. Say indispensable when you're there. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three, but less than ten, come together in my name, there I am with them. I'm sorry, I was reading from the uh, 2020 Co-NIV with the less than ten comment. Or it could be known as the, uh, the deluge version. I think that's what I'm right? going to call it. It's flooded with dissipation flooded. into the in understanding of what the <laughs> indispensable word of God is. 
We know how to have divine dimensions determine our divine indispensable nature of God's word inside of us. Amen. Turn with us to Mark chapter 12. Uh, we are, again, we're going to read to you from the advanced deluge version. Mark chapter 12. The 2020 co-NIV in quotation, the deluge version. Look at Mark chapter 12 and verse 31. It says, the second is this. Somebody say the second. Love your neighbor as yourself while keeping proper social distancing guidelines. There's no command greater than these. Man, talk about a deluge verse. And this is actually a scripture that I've heard used to keep churches from meeting. Don't you really love your neighbor? Yes, I do. But the whole point of this is seen back in 29. Look with me two verses before. The most important one. Answers Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He does not have a double-minded nature. He is not thinking of two opinions on any singular matter. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Somebody say all your heart. heart. Love the Lord with all your soul. Say all your soul. soul. With all your mind. mind. And with all your strength. And then you can love your neighbor as yourself. See, when you have a deluge version, they tell you to love your neighbor and then the world defines what love looks like to your neighbor. Love defines what it looks like to stay in the right order within your community. The community tries to define this. The world tries to define this. That's a deluge version, church. The Word of God says, when you love with all, when you love with all you got, with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your strength, then you are able to rightly know what love is. I want to know what love is. You can't know what love is until you love the Lord first. Yeah. The second commandment is to love with all with, to love your neighbor. Yeah. See, the deluge version is always going to try to make us cause things that the world views as indispensable, the things that we hold to. See, we have the indispensable nature of the seed of the Word of God, and it is active. It is what defines the divine dimensions that we are walking in. Church, don't fall into the deluge of people declaring and determining the Word of God to be dispensable today. You guys want the indispensable, authentic Word of God? Let's go to Romans chapter 13 and look at verse 1. Make sure you throw away your deluge version here. Yes, please. You know, as we read these scriptures, what the pastor Wade read and the one that I read prior to, this is a normative part of speech that we're hearing online from pastors, members of, of congregations around the globe. They have a deluged version of what the word is saying. As we read this, we're going to go through it. In Romans 13, verse 1, we're going to make sure that we see God's indispensable seed of his truth at work in this word. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. See, many people have been using this passage as a rational way to make the gathering of the body in corporate meetings dispensable. To set aside what we're doing right now. And say, well, we're, we're obeying the authorities. See, we're not in conflict over dispensable matters. Rather, only what the Lord of glory has said to be indispensable. Amen. 
We cannot read just this fraction of a scripture and determine the entirety of what God's desire and commands are for the body of Christ. We have to see it in its indispensable matter of the full context of what he said. Consider a few verses with us. We're going to turn to these quickly and we want you to keep up with us and we'll have them on the screen for you. Consider the scriptures like Acts 4.19. Acts 4.19, it says this, but Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. See, these were also in context. See, we can look at Romans 13 and we can think that that causes our meanings to be dispensable because our government has designated them as dispensable. We're saying that that cannot be the way that this scripture is read. Why? Because when you take the indispensable nature of the whole of the word of God, you see clearly. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Look at Acts 5.29. It says this, Peter and the other apostles replied. Now they're no longer asking someone to judge for themselves. They're just boldly declaring, we must obey God rather than men. Think about Hebrews 10.25. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now church, look at me. Y'all are here with us. you, You understand these principles, but what we're trying to do is there's an entire onslaught. There's a deluge around you that's trying to make you question why you would come. That's trying to cause people that you may love and care about Stay away from the very house of the Lord, from the assembly of the holy ones. There is a force that is at work here, and it's not a force that's just going to lie down. See, the church has just decided they just want to lie down and say, at the suggestion of this, let's all go and show that we are dispensable. See, we're raising up a church here at LCM. You are not like that. See, you are those who say, the word of God, it's indispensable. The people of God, they are indispensable. This house is indispensable. We're going to stand and we're going to fight and we're going to be just like the men who told us, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Church, that's what your pastors are doing today. We're encouraging you. We're encouraging you not to let the deluge of dissipation start to make you question. It's one thing if we're done on this next Friday. That'd be one thing. Then we can all kind of feel how we feel about it and move on. What if it lasts for another six weeks? What if it lasts for six months and you're not allowed to, to gather together? What if it lasts for another six years? What if it's just the new normal? See, that just shows that the church is ready to say that we are indispensable. This church, you, me, your pastors, this group of people, we're saying the word of God is indispensable and we'll fight for it if we need to. Amen. Saints, God's word, indispensable, right? The gifts of the spirit, indispensable. The requirement to raise up disciples, indispensable. Let me bring it more home. Look to the neighbor on your right and say, you are indispensable. We have in our midst the body of Christ. I couldn't be more proud of the people that are sitting in this room right now on this day. We are indispensable to each other because the indispensable word of God is what is driving force inside of us. I need my brothers and they need me. 
I need to see your face show up here because I know that the kingdom of God is at work within our midst and you are another validating proof that it is. Come on, I'd rather see obedience to the word of God than just the ability to orate the word of God. The ability to quote scripture does not overwrite the ability to live out the scripture. That's indispensable. A few passages that we had were slides. If you could put up the first one, Joy. Second Chronicles 20, verse 4 through 9. I'll just go through this briefly. This outline how the people of Judah came together. Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly at the temple of the Lord. And it was in that moment that they were saying, if calamity comes upon us, something like a plague or like coronavirus, if calamity comes upon us, we will stand. Say the word stand, church. Stand. Stand in your presence before this temple. And verse 13 says, all. Say all. All. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones, just like what we see right here, stood there before the Lord. Having that indispensable seed of God's word inside of you is going to have an effect that will cause you to stand up exactly what we saw here within the tribe of Judah. The other scripture that we had was Psalm 107, verse 31 and 32. Let them exalt him in the assembly, not the digital or virtual assembly. An assembly of those who gathered together and lifted up praise among the council and the elders. Well, what we're doing in worship, what we're doing now, what we do whenever we get home, we're going to continue to assemble and give God the praise and glory that's due His name because He and His Word are indispensable. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13. This is what we read at the beginning of our worship service. And we included the verse that comes before what is so familiar. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, then there's a response that we are to have, and that is to humble ourselves. Say humble. Humble. And pray. Say pray. Pray. And the expectation is that there will be a forgiveness of sin on our land, and that He will heal our land, and that we are able to have our eyes and our, our His eyes and His heart Always be upon us. Having the presence of God is what we're after. Having the presence of God dwell within us because we are walking rightly, humbly, seeking His face. We can then expect that because of His indispensable word at work within us, His indispensable glory will also sit upon our shoulders in these times. Church, consider the men. Consider a few men that we want to present to you today. These men who lived at peace wherever it was actually possible. Think about the Apostle Paul. The one who wrote Romans 13, by the way. Who was in constant conflict with these civil leaders around him. He was constantly preaching the gospel. Get beaten and stand back up with a beaten, bruised, bloody body. And walk back into the place that just said, you cannot do that here. And yet, we have now had the gospel because he stood up and said, that is not what I will do. He actually was knew that people were getting that the Jews were getting expelled from Rome. He intentionally wanted to go to Rome, asked to go to Rome, and made it a requirement that he get there. This is the man who wrote Romans 13. Yeah. Wrote multiple epistles from prison. 
talking like in the book of Ephesians and ending it saying, please pray for me as I am in chains for the gospel. Still proclaiming God's word. Still writing the very passages that we study now. See, these are the kind of men that we have to model our lives. They took the indispensable nature of the seed of the word of God and they lived upon it. Consider Daniel. Consider Daniel captive in a foreign land. Surrounded by those who wanted to make him do, say, and even eat things that he knew was not according to the word of God. And you know what he did? He stood up. He stood up and said, no, I have the indispensable seed of the word of God on the inside of me. And I will respectfully resist. I will do exactly what it is that I've always done. Do you realize Daniel got in trouble for doing what he had always done? That the world around him did? Come on. Wow, at least that has nothing to do with what we're doing today. We're doing exactly what we've always done. We're challenging you the exact same way that we've always challenged you. The world may move around us, but we're not moving. Because we are standing on the indispensable seed of the Word of God in this place. Amen. Consider some more modern men. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A man who did all that could be done. He took his stand in the deluge of a wicked world around him. He stood for the indispensable nature of the seed of the word of God and the indispensable nature of God's people in Nazi Germany. Consider men like Richard Wormbrandt. Oh yeah. A man who held to the indispensable nature of the seed of the word of God and took his stand against a despotic communist regime as it took its stand against churches in Romania in the 1950s and the 1960s. Church, see, thank you. When you, when you bring up Romans 13.1, I'm going to bring up these at least six passages that we just yeah. mentioned, yep. if not about 50 more, and ask you to put Romans 13 in context of what we've just presented to you. See, these passages of Scripture... These men who understood these passages of Scripture, they lived with the seed of the Word of God as the indispensable, divine, driving force of their life. And we must do the same in this place today. Well, turn with me to Genesis 47 and say indispensable when you get there. Genesis 47, verse 23. Joseph said to the people, now that I've bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed. Say seed. Here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. It was only after they gave their money. It was only after they gave their livestock. It was only after they laid down their very lives and sold all of their land, that Joseph gave them seed to plant into the ground. When you live in a position of total surrender, reckless abandonment of self, and are committed to the reality of the kingdom, you are then given seed from the king. Something to go plant and watch come out of the ground and begin to give life. This seed is the seed of the Word of God, and that is indispensable. 
You can take away all my comforts. You can take away all rights and claims and possessions to my life and whatever else I own. But one thing that can never be taken away is the indispensable word of God that has been planted inside of me. It doesn't matter what type of environment I am planted in. I am still going to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And what an honor it is that I've relinquished all right and commitments to my own life. And I now have my hand extended to heaven and I've received seed from the king of kings. We want to show you as we continue to move on with this idea of an indispensable nature of the seed. We've got a slide for you. What we did is we looked all the way back in the book of Exodus. You can start turning to Exodus and we're going to land in chapter 10. But as you're turning, we want you to know. If this were a classroom setting, I would ask you, I would commit you to your position. Why did the children of Israel leave Egypt? What was the reasoning? And some of you would be able to remember from our study in Exodus, that it was Exodus 12, 12, that God was bringing judgment on the gods of, of Egypt. Others of you might think, what, what did Moses say to Pharaoh? He said, let my people go. But the phrase that was given for Moses was this, let my people go. So that they may worship me. Come on, that's good. The reason that God heard their cries, the reason that he saw their misery, and what he told them, Moses, say to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. I want them to be able to collectively get together and worship me where I tell them to worship. You know what I found? That in the NIV, when you type in the word, let my people go so that they may worship me, seven instances come up. Oh, yeah. Seven. I'm sure that's completely random and by chance. The very first was in Exodus 5, and he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh, in the Sutherland translation, said, yeah, I don't serve your God. I don't have to listen to you. And then it began plague after plague after plague. For those of you who remember this, I just want to give you something interesting. We learned that in the plagues, there was a pattern of warning, warning, no warning. Part of the warning was Moses telling Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. Nile in the blood is the first. Frogs is the second. There was no warning on the third plague. On the fourth plague was flies. On the fifth plague was, plagues was livestock. There was no warning on the 6th. Then the 7th and the 8th. And now we pick it up in Exodus chapter 10. Let my people go so that they can worship me. See, there's always been a preclusion. There's always something. If they can't kill you, what they're going to try to do is keep you from being able to worship God acceptably. Come on now, let's look at, you'll see this as we go through this. Look at Exodus 10 and verse 9. Say indispensable when you're there. Indispensable. Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks and our herds, because we are to celebrate. Come on now, what's going on? They need to go celebrate. But aren't they in bondage? Yep. Didn't they start making their workload where they could not achieve it? Yep. What are you going to go do? I'm going to go celebrate. I'm going to go celebrate a festival to the Lord. Amen. That is what their goal is. The desire to worship the Lord is at the heart of this exodus. A desire for corporate worship is there. The Lord saw the misery. He heard their cry of oppression. That's clearly what Exodus 3 says. 
The solution was to celebrate a festival. The solution was to get together and worship the Lord collectively so that they can feel and sense God's presence in a way that they had yet to do. They were looking forward to the indispensable nature of the seed of the Word of God. Verse 10, Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you if I let you go along with your women and children. Clearly, you are a bit on evil. Now, I'm pretty sure when he says the Lord be with you, he's, it's not necessarily like a blessing that you would give somebody else within his church. It's more of a, a taunt. It's a proclamation. Sending him away. And this word bent on evil, right? He's projecting on him an intent to go out and do something that will result in trouble. Say, hey, trouble's in store for you. May God help you, man, as you go do this. As you take your children, as you take your women along with you. I hope God's with you because it's going to be repaid back on your head seven times over. You know, we have some things in our current events right now. There's a pastor in Louisiana, Tony Spell, that he has boldly stood up and said, I will not bow to this this ordinance of the government. I will hold on to my biblical Right. Notice, biblical right to congregate, to assemble in this time. And I'm also going to point the government back to what they've already established as the First Amendment rights in the Bill of Rights. And by standing on this, it has induced threats upon him and the members of his church. It has resulted in calls from the the governor of Louisiana telling him to stop. And he said, no, not at all. What a time that we live in that we're not the only ones in this land who are doing that. That he is standing up for what is righteous and what is right as it is biblically mandated. And what's being surrounded uh, or put around him is if you love your neighbor, you wouldn't meet. His neighbors are signing a petition against him meeting because they are scared of themselves getting the coronavirus, but they don't even go to the church. Isn't that kind of ironic? Sounds like those people are bent on evil there in the church. Exactly. In a contrasting manner, there's a pastor in Pennsylvania who boldly stood up and had service anyway, announced it and had it. But then later apologized nationally on the news for meeting because of the level of heap and abuse that he began to receive. That they were saying, you're bent on evil. Just like they were saying about the previous pastor I mentioned. And he caved right to it. He saw the mandate of God's word and from heaven as something that was dispensable. But praise God, that doesn't define who we are. That's right. Because we see that God's indispensable seed of his word is at work in us. And it's also at work in other men of God around this nation. <laughs> Church, you're already the ones meeting here. You've already figured this out. You've already understood the indispensable nature of us meeting together. What we're trying to raise the standard here, we're trying to raise it before you today, is that you must continue to have this. You must persist in it. You must, And the way that you're going to persist in it is that you understand the indispensable nature of the seed of the Word of God. That you cannot do anything but continue in this path. Look at verse 11. No. This is Pharaoh speaking. Have only the men go and worship the Lord. Since that's what you've been asking for, 
I tell you what, we'll make a concession for you. You can go and worship, but you can only have your men do it. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out. Somebody say driven out. Driven out. Out of Pharaoh's presence. Church, I just, I want you to pay attention. I know we have little ones in the house today and you moms, God bless you. I know these are difficult moments, but I want you to listen to this. It is always the enemy's ploy to modify what the word of God has actually said. It is always the ploy of the enemy. If they can't just straight out keep you from meeting, what they're going to do is try to get you to modify. What does Pharaoh do here? He's already suffered plague after plague after plague. And his hard heart is saying, fine, I'll give you a concession. But it won't be what your God told you. Let's just let the men go. See, you can do it, but you don't, you can't do it the way that God told you to do it. You can do it online, but you can't do it in person, which is what He said. You can go ahead and do it, but you need to hide. You need to go away somewhere so that the truth and the power of the gospel is not seen. This is the cry of the world. If you're going to worship Him, you better modify it to be more socially acceptable. Wow. That is what is going on in our world. Fine, you can stand. We know that people turn to religious groups in times of difficulty. But just don't say something different than what the government is telling you to say. Don't do it in a different way or you are standing now. <clears throat> now, now let's pull out Romans 13. No, no, no. They're trying to get us to modify. This is the enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The reason that we put a list of our city regional and state officials on the board during prayer time was we are not against the men and women who are leading our communities. I am directly opposed to the spirit that is behind them and manipulating them. See, most, listen to this, most overt denials of Christ don't happen overtly. Most overt denials of Christ do not happen overtly. In other words, People don't realize that they're denying Christ. If they came and said, spit on this Bible, say you hate Jesus, or we will kill you. Then people think that in that moment, some hypothetical point in the future, then we would know and they would rise up. But can I tell you, that's not how this really works. It's 10,000 times where you compromised on what the Word of God said. It's 10,000. It's 10 million times when you just modified. I know the Lord said this, but this feels close enough to me. Yeah. That is a good word. Do you know that Rome burned many Christians? Not because they denied Christ. Rome burned many Christians because they wouldn't worship the way that they were told to worship. Over a, in, a, in about a hundred year period, nearly 200,000 Protestants were burned at the stake without ever being asked to deny Jesus. They were simply being asked to accept Rome's limit upon their worship. Wow. We're calling it, we're, we're sounding an alarm today, church. Yeah. For those who are here, yeah. you're already here. We're already as proud of you as pastors can be about a group of people. And we're saying, yeah, but there's an onslaught. You're doing good today, but you can't let it become dispensable in your ears what the exact Word of God says to you. It is so precious. It is worth us fighting over. It is worth us giving our lives for. And don't you think that you'll give your life one day for this if you can't do and you're worried about today? Yeah. This is us being trained for how to give our lives, church. Amen. 
You know how you give your life one day as a martyr? You learn to give your life every day. Amen. Everything that he tells Amen. you, you just lay down what you think, you lay down what you want, and you look at the word, and you let the spirit quicken it to you, and then you do it with all of your heart. Amen. And you never turn from it. Amen. You stand exactly where he tells you to stand. Amen. Do you know that the Nazis claim to be Christian? It's not a joke. 100%. Do you know that Nazis claim to be Christian in origin? They use discriminatory practices against the, use, against the Jews that had happened for the thousand years before to justify the beginning of ghettos, to justify removing and cleansing. It was murder and wickedness. Nazis claim to be Christians and they never asked people to deny Christ. Do you know that Hitler even employed theologians to help him move people in the direction that he wanted? Yep. Church, my point is this. It's not trying to just give you a history lesson. It's trying to help you to understand that the Word of God is indispensable. Amen. The seed of the Word of God has Amen. got to be so real to us. It cannot be some fantasy. It can't be something that we hold on to. It's one thing when we meet and we know we're not supposed to, but there's no officer yet standing in our midst. Yeah. Arresting your wives and your children along with you. See, what we are doing, though, church, is we are building a kind of church that says the word of God is indispensable. It is so clear that we've got to meet. We're going to practice on this and we're going to stand and we'll never move off of it. Here we are, and this is where we stand. We're going to keep doing it. Why? Because we're practicing. Because one day, I might get the privilege of actually having to give my life. Oh, Lord, let it be. Oh, Lord, let it be in our hearts. And you can't let modifications come. Because when you modify the seed of the Word of God, you are saying it is completely dispensable. Let's keep going. Let's look in verse 24. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Oh, wow, we got some reprieve. Only, hold up, only leave your flocks and your herds behind. This may have sounded like victory to some of them. All right, our, our women, our children get to go with us. We just got to leave our livestock behind. We only have to give up one one minor thing. Just a small compromise. It's not as much of a modification or compromise as it was before. Let's just, let's just give up this small one, right? You know, you don't have to just ban churches outright. You just put certain guidelines or modifications that they can't meet in these certain conditions. I'm sure you got people that are thrilled thrilled that services are online. They can lounge in the comfort of their own bed with pajamas and a sweatshirt, a bowl of ice cream, and enjoy the next and latest sermon that there is. They have no idea that they have been lulled away into making God's word and his standard dispensable. And they think they've gotten a victory. There was a man who responded to a blog that uh, a well-known uh, apologist for the faith and the apologist of the faith caved with everybody else and the just a, a common guy replied on his blog he said shame on you shame on you for doing this he said we need men of god to stand up for what 
the word says we should do. And men of God that will not compromise. Not even at the least bit for what God's indispensable word is about. The forces of the world are determined. They are bent on delivering the deluge of dissipation. But they start with the droplets of compromise. Small droplets of compromise. One little area here, one little area there. Those droplets of compromise, church, are designed to dampen. Not outright destroy at first. Just dampen the divinity of the indispensable seed of the Word of God. Just lessen it. But we can't let that happen. Our example further in the story is that Moses had the divine dimension inside of him. And it was based on the indispensable seed of God's Word that was working, planted, and bearing fruit inside of him. And he delivers the definitive answer of a many of uh, def- delivers a definitive answer to the days of despotic behavior that has come through the world towards us. Look at verse twenty-five. But Moses said, "You must." Somebody say, "Must." You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings. See, you can't keep the livestock because if you do that, then our worship has changed and it is unacceptable to our God. You can, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. Come on. Man, that is one of my favorite verses. Not a hoof left behind. See, you've got to determine that your destiny is developed by not giving an inch, a concession, a hoof to the enemy when he's asking for it. Why are you guys so serious about this? Because we understand what is at stake in all of your lives, in our lives too. What we are trying to do today is talk to you about developing your own convictions and learning how to take a stand. It's one thing to follow someone else who's already taken the stand. It's another thing for you to take the stand yourself. To determine that the Word of God is indispensable because it determines our identity. To determine that the seed that has been given to you and it will take hold and produce a divine work in your life. You've got to determine these things. You've got to develop an attitude that says, not a hoof. Not a hoof. No, close enough isn't good enough. I have to do exactly what the Word of God says because the Word of God is indispensable. When I start making compromises, I, my life... My actions are declaring that the Word of God is dispensable. And I won't do it. Not a hoof is going to be left behind. Not a compromise. Not an inch. You're not going to do any of that to me. See, because the Word of God in Psalm 138.8 says, Because you have the seed, then we can trust. that, That verse says that God will fulfill His purposes in me. See, He will do it. But how will He do it? He will do it as we treat His seed, as we treat the Word, as completely indispensable in our lives. Churches, you got to determine that you're going to take your stand. You're going to take your stand in the divine dimensions as He drenches you in your destiny. As as He drenches you in your identity, in power, in reality, in the drift of what He's doing. you got to understand, you cannot leave a hoof behind. But pastor, we're already here. Yeah, but this is not going to be the end of this today, friends. 
There are so many who think they can stand. And I'm seeing and I'm heartbroken. It makes me want to pray for the American church. They're asleep. Oh, Charlie, they're asleep. They've been asleep. They're getting their freedoms taken from them. And they're not doing anything about it. They've not only said, we'll leave the hoof behind. We'll leave everybody behind. The American church has left their wife and their kids and their little ones and their livestock behind. We're not going to do that. We are not going to be men and women who leave even a hoof behind. Which one of your kids do you want to leave behind? Which one of your family that's here do you want to leave behind? See, we can't do that. But every little bit that we try to give, every little bit, listen to me, where we have sympathy for the plans of the world. Pastor, it's only reasonable. It is not reasonable for me to give up a hoof when God has said not to. It is not reason. It's compromise. It is causing the word to my great Savior gave his life to make sure it could get to me. That many, many men, it's cost them their life for us to be sitting here and doing what we're doing. They gave their life. They shed their blood. And you know what? I'm not going to let it stop on my watch. I'm going to continue on trusting in this indispensable nature of the word of God. Come on, I need some men in this place to understand what I'm saying. We need some people who will stand and trust in the indispensable nature of this gospel. It is worth your hardship. It is worth your pain. It is worth you dying for. Don't tell me you're going to die for it if you can't even stand up against a suggestion that you shouldn't meet. Don't tell me that you're going to die for it. If you're willing to compromise every day, all day. Church, not a hoof. Not a hoof. Not a hoof left behind. Not a hoof. Come on. You can be seated. But don't be seated in your heart. Take a stand inside of your heart that this word, it's too good. That the spirit is too real. It's too indispensable for us to do anything else but yearn to fulfill it in every way. I want to read something to you guys. Find inspiration from that matches this not a hoof attitude that we're taking this morning. And by the way, before I read it, I can't say enough how proud I am of you guys. How proud I am to call you my family. That we are standing together with that same attitude of not a hoof left behind. A guy named Dean Alford wrote this. In every occupation of life, in all intercourse and toil and in recreation, our Christian armor should be worn and never laid aside. The moment our allegiance is tested, the moment that the world requires what God forbids or forbids what God requires, we must stand to our arms and admit no thought of surrender. Not even admit it. Not even an idea or inkling in our hearts or minds that say we're going to do anything different than what God has always said for us to do. What a joy, what an honor, what a privilege it is to be in this church, in the one association where we have locked arms, that we have stood up, and for years God has been training our hearts and minds to do what we're doing this morning. That we're able to stand in the midst of opposition and difficulty 
and be unwavered by it. Turn with me to Exodus 14. Let's look at verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. See, God drives back the deluge of dissipation as Moses takes his stand on the indispensable seed of God's word. And the result is that the people crossed in the midst of this deluge with dry land and a wall on their right and their left. Pastor, I don't want to rush on this. We're going to quickly move towards a closing here, but I want you to hear what Pastor just said. Would you mind saying that again, the very first phrase that you had, Pastor? That was so good. That God drives back. Can you start there? God drives back the deluge of dissipation as Moses takes his stand on the indispensable seed of the Word of God. The reason I wanted my friend and my ministry partner, soon to be in-laws with our family, The reason I wanted him to replay that for you is that is the same predictable pattern that you can expect. When you stand upon the indispensable seed of the word of God, you know what happens? God begins to drive back the deluge of dissipation. God begins to move and do miraculous things. Consider Joshua chapter 3 verse 17. It says this, the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. Isn't that what Moses did in the middle of the Red Sea? He began to stand on the indispensable sea of the Word of God. And God began to drive back the deluge. See, he does it again for Joshua. Oh, wait a minute. You mean it wasn't just because of one man? No, it's because that man understood the indispensable, indispensable nature. Oh, but it was just Moses and Joshua. No, Joshua also understood it too. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. See, God drives back the deluge of dissipation as Joshua and the priests take their stand on the indispensable seed of the Word of God. They stand right in the middle. Right in the middle of the deluge. But they're untouched. They're learning how to divinely drift in God's power in their everyday. This could not be more pertinent for us. This could not be more relevant, real, and necessary for us, for you, for me today, that we walk in this power. Turn with me to first, or Second Samuel, chapter twenty-three. Indispensable. Next to him, come on, stay with me, church. Next to him was Shama, Shama, son of Agi, the Harite. When the Philistines banded together at a place. Where there was a field full of lentils. Hmm. Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. You see in the same manner as we saw with Moses. And we saw with Joshua. That Shammah stands in the middle of the field. That as he stepped forward and stood on the indispensable seed, not of lentils, but the indispensable seed of God's word, 
God began to give him victory and ability to overcome and have power. See, when the rest of the world yields to the deluge, they follow in the despondency and dis, uh, what's the D word? Dis, nope. I'll think of it in a minute. Sorry about that. They're following in a dissipation. A deluge. That is diluting the truth of God's word. When the rest of the world does that. Shama stands alone in the middle of this field. When you stand on the indispensable word of God. It more likely is going to look like you standing alone for a moment. But you know what begins to happen? Other men begin to see your courage. They begin to see that indestructible life of God's indispensable seed inside of you. And they say, if he has it inside of him, I can have the same thing inside of me. Because when we're reading about Moses, about Joshua, about Shammah, these are men no different than you and I. They just had the privilege and the opportunity to stand in the middle of whatever God told them to do and watch his power come through for them. This is exactly what happens in Daniel chapter 3. You no longer see just one man. You see multiple men standing together. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 15. Let me read it to you. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. Boy, isn't that always the call of the enemy? As long as you're ready to fall down. Let me give the cue the music, my friends. Cue the intro music to your nightly news. As soon as, as long as you're ready to fall down at the very hint of what is coming, it's going to be all good for you. Yeah, see, that's, that's a horrible thing. You had men who understood the indispensable nature. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> you king, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. Come on. Don't y'all want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Actually, let's call them by their actual Hebrew names. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Let's not even let it be tainted with what the world calls them. Let's be men who can stand up when a bow down kind of world. And the world is saying, you better bow down. <laughs> I cannot. I will take my stand right in the middle. I'm not going to go run off to a corner. I'm not going to go run by myself in the house. I'm going to stand right in the middle of the deluge of dissipation. And I'm taking my stand today. Come on, anybody going to take their stand? Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Verse 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Do you see the signs of deluge, of dissipation at work here? I mean, at work within our times. The very element that we're seeing in Matthew 24 is, be, is playing out right in front of us. It says that many will turn away. Why is that? Well, it's because they never 
determined to take their stand on the indispensable nature of the seed of God's word beforehand. So we've been saying a phrase, the very first phrase that we had as a church, and that is perform out there what you practice in here. The intensity and the tenacity in which we drive forward towards God's word is the very thing that's sustaining us right now. See, many will turn away because they did not determine to build their lives on the indispensable seed of God's word. That's them. But I have a, a joyful statement to make. That's not us. That's not what defines who we are. We are of those who take their stand. We are those who say no hoof is going to be left behind. Right. Not one ounce right. of God's will is not going to be done in our own life. All of God's will is going to be done within this church. That's, an, that's a DCD kind of attitude. That's an LCM yes. kind of attitude. That's a one association kind of attitude. Look at the next verse. But he who stands firm to the end, ooh, you can count on to be saved. And this gospel... Somebody say this gospel. This gospel. Not some gospel that's been, that's been meandered with. It's not been de deviated from. It's not been destroyed. It is the actual gospel. You know why? Because it becomes indispensable to you. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Yeah. Somebody say we're not at the end yet. We're not at the end yet. See, you don't have to be afraid, little flock, because you're not at the end yet. You know what's coming. You know that you get to stand firm. You got to stand firm all the way to the end. That is what produces the true gospel being preached. Come on now. Anybody had, had a different church that you ever went to before you got to LCM? Come on. Anybody, anybody ever remember what it's like somewhere else? You're like, I don't know what's different. It just seems harder here. Yeah, it's because you got actually a part of the real gospel. Yeah. A true gospel that makes you stand up. That makes each one of us say, no, you can't modify this. You can't deviate from it. You can't try to destroy it or dilute it in any way. you got to stand right where he tells you to stand. That seed, those who demonstrate and declare the indispensable seed of the word of God, bring out the divine destiny for everyone. Amen? Amen. Turn with us to Revelation chapter 3. Verse 7. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. The ability for them and us to do this, it's not based on our own determination. It's not based on our own strength. It's based on taking our stand on the indispensable seed of God's word. That's what gives us the determination. That's what gives us the strength. That strength to never deny. Never incrementally modify what God's word already says. But stand firm on deep convictions that he's given us. Look at verse 11. Same passage. I am coming soon. Come on. That's a promise from the Lord. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Take your stand, church. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. What does that mean? What does that mean when he says it? Hold on to what you already have. You don't have to go find it somewhere. Hope that you can get to it. It's not a maze. You're not, you're not going through a labyrinth to get there. You already got it. You're here. The Lord has given us. Do you understand that the Lord has been working on our church for months now? For months. 
to say it's about the thousand generations, church. Man, you gotta have these, you gotta have these principles in mind. You need the 12 gates to be meditating on them. You gotta be working on your families. Let's cultivate your priesthood. Do you see what the Lord has already given us? Now's not the time to get wishy-washy. Now's not the time to get to back down. You gotta hold on to what you already have. Man, you got to drive that stake deep into the earth. And when that deluge of dissipation comes, you hold on to it with all of your might. You take your stand and you hold on to what God has. Amen. You sink that anchor, anchor deep in the ground so that you can stand when many others will not be able to. We are raising men and women in this house who will be able to take their stand. Amen. Church, our entire drive in the Divine Dimension series depends on the indispensable seed of God's Word determining what your reality is. Don't modify it by what you see. Don't modify it by what you hear, by what you desire, by what you're afraid of. Do not modify the indispensable Word of God. It is what determines your reality. This is more real than what you read on the news in the news. This is more real than what you're hearing coming over the airwaves. This is more. This is reality. you got to learn how to stand in it. God's Word in you will prove faithful. It will. Just don't, just don't modify it. Don't bend it. We have determined ourselves to drift, to be drenched in, and devote our lives to His indispensable Word and the destiny that is ours in Christ. Come on, somebody say, it is mine. It is mine. I already have it. I already have it. And that's what we're trusting in today. Amen? Amen. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. We are right here at the end. Don't, don't give up on us now. Stay with us here. Indispensable. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The seed of God's word is definitely divine. And we must fully devote ourselves to stand upon his word. Why is that? Because I know that the effort that I put standing on His indispensable Word will always result in the kingdom of God being fruitful here on earth as it is in heaven. The labor that we put forth is never in vain. It's always going to bear fruit. It may not bear fruit the time period that I expected, but I can be sure that it is going to bear fruit on earth. Consider Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 25. It says this, When the storm has swept by, when the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. See, this is the reality that we have. Our divine destiny is that we will, in fact, stand firm forever. Somebody say forever. Forever. See, what we're talking about is the temporal versus the eternal. The seed of God's Word has already been given to you. You're holding it as indispensable. See, the deluge of dissipation has no hold on you. The best they can do is hope to intimidate you. The best that the, that the enemy can do is to, to scare you enough where you will just lie down, where you won't take your stand because you've already got the victory. It may not be seen fully yet, but you're already the victor. You're already victorious and more than a conqueror. The indispensable seed of God's Word is alive in you. Divine dimensions of God's design will be proven as fact. Somebody say fact. fact. Somebody say truth. 
Truth. When we are determined to stand on the seed of God's word. Amen. Church, are y'all determined to stand on God's seed? It's indispensable. It's alive. It's at work within you. Turn to Romans chapter 14 as we prepare to close. Verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand. Say, will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. You know the hope that we have this morning in ourselves, in this church body, is that we serve the God who will help us stand. We have an imperative, and that is to have an attitude that says that we are going to take our stand now and again and again and again. That's not just standing up one time then saying we're done and sitting down. We will continue to take our stand for what God's word says and the righteousness and holiness it requires. But here's a direction that we want to send you off with. That you must develop and determine your convictions based on the indispensable seed of God's word. So that you will stand in his divine dimensions. The reality of his holy design will prove faithful as you determine your drift, your drive, your dimensions, your devotion to the seed that he has given you. The indispensable seed that he's put inside of you. Pastor mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer earlier. There's a statement that he had, that he wrote, that gives us inspiration right now. There is not a place... To which the Christian can withdraw from the world. Whether it be outwardly or in the sphere of the inner life. Any attempt to escape from the world must sooner or later be paid for with a sinful surrender to the world. This is coming from a man who stood up against a world power. Driven The world power was driven by a satanic power. And he gave his own life to stand up against it. And he stood again and again and again. As we begin to stand to our feet now, we're going to take on this same attitude. Church, we don't just want you to stand to your feet now as we're closing a service. We want you to stand on the indispensable seed of the word of God. We want you to stand with the attitude that says we're not going to modify this. Not a hoof is going to be left out of what God has told us. Not a single thing that God has said to us are we going to modify. We're going to stand exactly where he tells us to stand because we can stand no other place. We will stand no other place than exactly where God has given us. As we begin to pray, we're saying today, you got to rise up inside of you. you got to take a stand. Don't let the deluge of dissipation make you wane in the desire to stand where God tells us to stand. This is a right word for our church today. This is a right word for our country today. Let us be of those who stand trusting in the indispensable nature of God's word. Church, we're here. We're standing. I'm going to say it again. I'm proud of you for being here this this morning. 
I'm proud of you for having an attitude that says we're going to stand. There's not going to be a hoof left behind. As we begin to raise our hearts and our heads, our hands towards heaven, we're going to, go, we're going to begin to give thanks and praise to the God who helps us stand. And we're going to help each other stand. If there's any wavering, any faltering in any one of you, turn to a brother, turn to a sister who is strong in taking their stand. Glean from the strength that God is giving them so that God can give it to you. Lord, we thank you for your spirit and your word and work within us. It gives us the power to stand again and again and again. That we will have not a hoof left behind. We will stand for righteousness. We will stand for the name of Jesus. We will call those who are cowering to stand up in the name of Jesus. And we will see your kingdom displayed on earth as it is in heaven.